dot next to my name. Um, so yeah, fantastic. Andres, you'd like to start with uh, a question from yourself related to the topic of over engineering? Uh, yes. Uh, so, um, one, I don't know if you read my questions. Yeah. Have you guys done this? Yeah. So, the first one is uh, because my experience is that uh, the way people or organizations build uh, systems or solutions directly mirrors uh, their communication structures. So, how do we manage? complexity when the complexity is actually in the uh, organization structure. Interesting first topic. Uh, Eric or Henrik, which one of you would like to have at this one first? Jump in, can we get nice <laughs> Okay, I'll start then. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll start with just uh, simply answering the question and break it down uh, later. So I would prefer a smaller team, but not for the reasons you're given in the question. Um, uh, I think I think you, it, it's working on a misconception that the uh, extraordinary developers also would be social misfits or bad at communication. Uh, I would turn it around and say that like you're really good programmers are if they are working a team and like and as far as i know uh, a vast majority of the programmers work in teams if they're supposed to be good programmers they also have good communicative skills uh, i think that a team could get away with one person just not knowing how to talk um, uh, with other people and they're like everyone else knows how to interact in a very good way and they just work around to make sure that that person gets the information needed and just suck the information out of that person i think that might be doable but a, a small team is always more manageable i think um so so i would also just a smaller team would be better but I think if, if these are exceptional individuals, they are also good at communication. And I think I, I would even rate that a bit higher than actual good coding skills. Because if you if if you can't get everyone along towards your goal, and also if if it's hard to communicate where you are all going, um and how to get there, it, it doesn't matter if everyone is skilled because they might be pulling in another direction and because they are super skilled in what they're doing, they're pulling hard in that direction. So I think, I think like if, if you want exceptional individuals, they need to be team players as well. Uh, do, do you want to add something before I talk along on this subject? It's a valid point to be fair. Uh, I, I'd like to add that uh, I, my company has exceptional individuals. Uh, the problem uh, that I tried to raise was in, in an organization, especially as, as uh, Henrik knows, in, in banking, it's politics uh, all the way down. Yeah. Um, and that mirrors that even though you have uh, 
at best teams of exceptional individuals, uh, the solutions they have to build are convoluted at best. Because, uh, because all of the requirements are basically contradictory. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, hopefully that's not the way it is in, in, in the gaming industry, but uh, specifically in banking, it's, it's absurd. So in terms of they're looking more after cost than efficiency when it comes to the development, is that to some degree of what uh, you're getting at there? No, it's sorry for being confusing. Uh, since I usually uh, work as a chief architect or domain architect, uh, the the, the the role I have as an architect is uh, finding contradictory requirements and raising them and prioritizing it, uh, prioritizing uh, requirements according to to regulation. Uh, the the problem comes in when uh, the sponsor of the project is is not the head honcho. So if if it's not coming from from the group executive management or the board of directors, then somebody has a higher say, and they say, no, I want it this way. And doesn't matter if you say, but the re regulatory requirements are this, because uh, it's it's the ego boost of that person that might point to. Uh, Let's say one thing that's very common at, at one of the largest banks in the world is they have a Teradata solution. It doesn't matter if you can't build real-time solutions on Teradata. They point to it because that's their baby. They love it to death. It doesn't matter if, it's, it's, if it risks their banking license because they spent a couple of billions on it, um, even though it's the wrong solution. Uh, so the, they over-engineer uh, solutions around it to try to compensate for the defects, and and that's where uh, where I mean it, it mirrors the communication structure that uh, somebody points to. Uh, you should do it this way, and because you have uh, you have the wrong boss, so to say, then you just have to do what what they're saying, even though you know it's wrong. Henrik, yeah. it sounds to me. Through? Yeah, but I do agree uh, totally, uh, especially with the banking uh, discussion. Uh, there's also a lot of security restraints, which I think uh, locks you up in, in terms of creativity and, and uh, being able to do things that uh, you've done before, for example. Uh, and obviously a lot of regulations as well. Uh, so, so it's it's a bit extreme, I think, in the banking industry. Uh, to go back to the topic, uh, to, to give an answer on, on my opinions, uh, I do prefer smaller teams. Um, one thing is that uh, even if if you if you have larger teams, uh, from my experience, you still get a lot of personal dependencies. Um, smaller teams. Uh, with experienced members can actually be as effective as a larger, less performing team uh, with a lot of overhead. Uh, you have to spend so much time on communication and, and things like that with a larger team. Uh, obviously, you have to you have to communicate good in a smaller team as well. Uh, and uh, my take on what is a good developer would be that uh, communication skills 
is uh, really, really important, maybe more important than technical skills. I've seen a lot of really, really good uh, technical developers uh, writing super complicated code that is extremely hard to analyze because someday someone else will go into your code and analyze and try to do a migration or, or uh, con continue to uh, develop the code. Uh, and um, I mean, based on if you're a, a really good developer from a technical point of view, if you write overcomplicated or over-engineered code, it's uh, extremely hard to maintain. And I think that's my stand in the question. Fantastic. Andreas, what do you think to the responses that you got? Henrik kind of like matching and agreeing with you from the banking industry, but then Eric also offering kind of like a gaming industry's perspective uh, on yeah. as well. I I have uh, I have two friends that work in in the gaming industry uh, and uh, it seems seems a lot more uh, progressive uh, and uh, then it all comes down to the team and the teamwork uh, utilizing people uh, what they're good at and it's no uh, if people find their roles which which they can deliver the maximum value to the team they. The good developers do that naturally. They're, they they have so as you say built in a collaboration. It's everybody wants to be for self interest. They want to maximize the uh, the value to the team because that's how they get an e ego boost. So it's it's uh, it's a win win. It might come down to that the gaming industry is also much younger than the banking industry <laughs> yeah. is. So there's there's less heritage to take um, to take with you and and and, and yeah. good, good. I, I I would like to add one more thing regarding that in the gaming industry if you if you're not doing well uh, you don't make profit in the banking industry it doesn't matter how bad you are you still make profit. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true, but. There is an interesting point to be made. Is that is there an impact on over-engineering when it comes to, or engineering in general, when it just comes to the age of the industry? So obviously, you know, you know, the banking industry is far older than that of the gaming. So when you're talking about the banking industry and you talk about the engineering and all the security implications that are around there, that will actually impact what you can do on a greater scale than, you know a group of young guys trying to make a game together that just have free reign to do whatever the hell it is they like. So yeah, there's different scale on that side of things as well. Uh, I had, a, it was hard for me to grasp what uh, Andreas was reaching for with the question uh, regarding like over-engineering, how is this related? But it, it seems that like when you're talking about organizational structures that Andrea specifically are caught like in this, uh, you call it a political battle, I think, or at least political, uh, something political. It's a political battle where it's that somehow probably should have been that, uh, now I'm probably butchering the concepts but, uh, of Scrum, but like a product owner for uh, legal and then a product owner for the business and then someone from uh, development side they're just um are uh making up what the product should look like and then uh 
then someone else is, uh, is handing that over to, to the development team. And uh, it seems like Andreas is either in that, that political battle, but there's not very defined roles in that, in that uh, group, or he has been pulled in through that uh, battle involuntarily. That, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. Isn't it so that it's based on, uh, on, on lots of legacy? within the banking industry as well. Mm, yeah. There's so much legacy both in the in the organization but also in the in the system landscape. So do you think do you think there's limitations to what you're able to do then based upon you know how old certain you know tools and code are? So obviously yeah, for... you can't really make you know a, you know a well-oiled machine if some of the code and you know software that you're running on is you know 10, 15 years old. Could that be a case? Yeah, exactly. Issues with engineering. Yeah, it's, uh, it's extremely hard to do to do, uh, for example, system migrations because you have so much dependencies, you have so much old legacy systems. Uh, and less knowledge about the legacy systems. Uh, and you have a, a big organization that also uh, has its own structures. Uh, it's banking, so as we said before, a lot of regulations, uh, a lot of security constraints. You can't do whatever you, you want to do, like you can do maybe more in a, in a normal organization, so to say. Uh, so all these constraints put on you uh, Give gives you less freedom, so to say. Yeah. So would you say that it's actually easier to be a developer in a younger industry than a developer in an older one? Because if you're a developer in like a banking industry, you've got to know all the old legacy stuff to be able to migrate it to the new stuff that you need to know as well. Whereas in the gaming industry, you can just know the new stuff and just run with it. Yes, maybe, maybe. It could be the other way around as well, that it, it, because the the high pace of the gaming industry, people needs to be on their toes. And uh, that doesn't seem to be the case in, in banking. Everybody seems to be fine with, uh, with a very moderate pace. Uh, and even if the pace is moderate, it might be in the wrong direction, but everybody seems to be fine with that anyway. Um, as, as long as something is moving, then everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not the development that earns the bank the money, whereas in the gaming industry, the development is what converts yeah. to currency at the end of the day. So Yeah, absolutely. So the developers, I think, have a lot more say in, I mean, of course, the 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 designers have, have a lot of say, but I mean, it's the, the developers that are making the magic. In banking, it's the... Uh, uh, the bankers that come up with ridiculous products that that do the magic. Yeah. Um. Perfect. All right. So we've just thank you so much. By all means. So we've gone through your first question. Uh, if we have time at the end, then we can pick up a few more. But we'll try and get at least one per person and then go back. Uh, so Eric, uh, do you want to pick one of the two that you um, mentioned to the to the group? Yeah, I'll just read it. Um out loud so i don't change the question <laughs> live here uh, uh is a discussion about over engineering mostly a technical or cultural character so do you want to go into a bit more uh depth on to that one uh, sure um 
my my thinking was that can overengineering be very strictly defined? That we can look at uh, a code base and say this is clearly overengineered at this stage. Uh, I think that that might be varying. Uh, or or do, do you agree with that first? Like, is is it is there a hard line of overengineering and, and not overengineered? Okay. Andreas, do you want to you know take the reins on this one? Uh, I I try to. Uh, my company is is a product company and uh, a, a consulting company. So the the consulting. Uh, is only to bring in money so we can do the things that we like, uh, because we we're not happy with with the client with the, what we develop for our customers, but we do it because that puts bread on the uh, bread and butter uh, uh, on the table. Mm. And, and the way we are thinking is uh, we we happily over engineer the core, so we polish on the core uh, of a solution. Uh, until everybody's super happy with it, that we feel it's it's flexible, it's 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 extremely stable. It can uh, uh, mi migrate uh, certain technologies over time, etc. So it's 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 uh, what we would say superb. And beyond the core, then we we basically say, okay, what needs to be delivered first, and what's the low hanging fruits. Uh, and uh, we don't care so much about uh, uh, is it perfect or not, as long as it delivers uh, the low-hanging fruit. So it's it's more agile approach. That what needs to be delivered first. But we we always start with with the core concepts and over. We I guarantee you we over-engineer it. But that's because we that's the passion that the people that work with me or for me have that they really care about the technology uh, and how it can be applied in in multiple different areas um, so basically providing a platform more than a common solution does that make sense do you share that passion yes absolutely <laughs> i'm a nerd <laughs> So that basically bridges the gap between it being a technical or a, cult or a cultural decision based upon the over-engineering, because obviously it is a technical standpoint, which you are maybe taking care of the core, the baby in the middle, but then it's also yeah. a cultural decision that you've made across your consulted company that this is in agreement for everybody. Yes. And that has to be that has to be unified. You, you can't have one person that's on, that, on board with that and then everybody else disagree because that's yeah. when... You know, it wouldn't work. So. And the, I, I, out of the nine employees I have, is one person that maybe isn't a good fit for us. But he's he's a he's a nice chap, and the customers love him. Uh, so he's he's out consulting all the time. He doesn't do any product development because he he doesn't fit into the team in that way. But he's a lovely chap, and everybody likes him. So. Uh, it's um, so the culture is uh, total logics is a team of nerds, yeah. basically. We we try to take care of each other's uh, uh, babies. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Are, are you happy with the answer, Eric? Sorry. Are you happy with the answer? Uh, yes. Yeah. 
Henrik, what about you? Have you had any similarities or broad differences when it comes to it just being a technical requirement or a cultural, you know, uh, push out from upper management? Yeah, but I think so. Uh, I, I, I think it's divided, so to say. It, I mean, to, to give a short answer, uh, it's both a technical and cultural uh, cultural sector. Um, I would say technicians, developers, architects uh, have different styles of implementing things. Uh, so obviously you get different results. Uh, also, it is cultural in a way that you have, I mean, you have different teams and with, with different teams, you get different outputs, uh, different uh, leaders, for example, system architects have different styles of implementing things. Uh, we have different teams in different countries. Uh, so, so from that point of view, I think it's also cultural um, difference or, or challenge. Uh, I would say, uh, for example, in Baltic countries, they have a more, I mean, we, we in Sweden, we have a, a, a what to say, um, not that hierarchical organizations. Uh, we listen to each other. Uh, we are able to take decisions uh, as a group, uh, mostly. Uh, and looking at the other countries, sometimes they are more hierarchical and, and maybe that gives less uh, possibilities for developers to have opinions on, on how things are, are uh, being developed. And, and with that said, it's more like it's more strict. And if you have, uh, if you have a, lead, a team lead, for example, that, uh, that uh, ha have, a, have a style of more complex development and how you do solutions, how you, how you do stuff, then, then you will obviously get more complicated systems or, or over-engineered, maybe. Uh, did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eric, how was that? Would you want to bounce back with any follow-up points on that one? Uh, yeah. Uh, so when is it a... a, a you, Henrik, you said like it's both technical and cultural. So. Is it uh, too much to ask for like an example of when, when is it a cultural discussion and when is it a technical discussion? Yeah, I have to think about that. Um, sure. Yeah, but I would say, for example, uh, one difference that I have in my experience is that when you're working with teams in other countries, uh, it can sometimes to be more uh, more more static in the way of uh, how you develop and how you progress. Um, it's it's more, uh, for example, for and now I talk for for our Swedes uh, since we have this, uh, we listen a lot to each other. We do uh, we do develop ourselves. Uh, we learn a lot from each other. And, and maybe, maybe in, um, in uh, other areas or other countries, or, or uh, it's more like a top-down hierarchy. And then, obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's, you, you, you have less freedom of creativity. 
Um, so that's where it becomes more just a, of a technical requirement. Whereas in basically in Sweden, if everybody's all evolved from a more lateral, more open, then it's more of a culture that's spread as in terms of the engineering. But if it's a top down, like hierarchical kind of like layout across the business, then it's purely just a technical decision by an architect that's been de- drawing it up. Is that wait, is that the point you're trying to make there? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I think so. That's that's my point. Yeah, that's what I got uh, from that one. If anyone else got anything else from that, yeah. I was also thinking about what Andrea said about uh, the team he has uh, created with uh, over engineering being one of the uh, ethos uh, in his company. Um, because it's, I prefer a, a different approach. Um, I I want speed, kind of like changes coming quickly. That's that's what I like. Uh, and um, I know I'm probably in a minority overall, but I have no problem doing something uh, just as quickly as possible. Uh, threw it at the test system, seems to be working there, threw it in production. And if it's working, I just don't touch it anymore. Uh, until I, I, I someone sees a... What, what I want to see is a reason, or no, like you look at the, the that uh, hacked code I did, like really quickly done programming, and you say, like, if this would be have been structured differently, my new change would have been quicker to do. Then you do the good stuff. Because I've seen, like, sometimes, like, if you just make it good enough and it doesn't contain any bugs someone cares about. And like the, the code can be quite ugly for long. It just keeps run as long as it keeps running. And then I wonder how would Andreas <laughs> enjoy working in an environment like that? Yeah, it's if uh, I can give you an example that uh, as I talked about before. Uh, as long as the core uh, it provides all of the the aspects that we. Uh, an attribute we enjoy in in the solution, then uh, what's around it doesn't matter as much. So, uh, to we we build massively uh, uh, parallel uh, distributed systems. That's that's our core strength. Uh, and because when you do those type of, uh, for instance, our our platform, our core platform is is a AB of mine since uh, 25 years ago, uh, which is very similar to the Kademlia uh, networking protocol. So uh, basically the handshaking of different um, uh, services is, is uh, uh, the, the maintaining of the quorum in, in this uh, virtual uh, ring topology is is what makes it really good but around that we we might do something quick and dirty in python just because we need to export the data crunch it provide it to the customer but the reason we can we can do that uh, crunching and iterative approach to just deliver the value is because the uh, the core solution 
of this uh, ring topology is so extremely fast and flexible. Uh, so that's where it's our baby. We'll, we love that thing to death. Um, but, but the rest is more like, okay, how do we solve this business problem? Uh, and uh, if, as you say, if we come back to, okay, the, uh, we need to tweak, tweak something due to the changing security requirements. Uh, how do we do that? Do we do that uh, uh, at the perimeter or do we do that in core, a core solution? Because we, we want to keep the core solution simple. We don't want to touch it unnecessarily. So, so the, I think we are somewhat aligned in 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 it. Uh, the core core product is built in C plus uh, plus, and then in that uh, service platform, we then run a, basically a, a .NET platform, the CLR, but we write it in Occam. So we functional programming on top of it. And then other services depends on what's what's quick and e quick and easy for the specific task. So we we have no technical preference in that regard. Does it make sense? Yes, yes, it makes sense. I I, I understand your thinking about it. What, what, it sounds like you have identified where you need uh, uh, like a really rugged part of the system uh, and then you can act quickly uh, on other parts because yes. you have already identified the, the uh, what you call the core then so the, the, the point that might may not fail okay. it's an interesting point to make though when it comes to when you say in terms of like frequency of deployment or the code maturity that was like part of your second question squeeze in just a little bit um do you think the, the role that you guys play within DevOps, Henrik and Eric, do you think obviously being so used to continuously you know integrating and deploying code day-to-day -day basis do you think it's that you're more easily to deploy code faster rather than write pages and pages of the perfect code before yeah uh, go ahead Enric. yeah um i'm definitely i didn't get your your last sentence there uh paul uh but to give an answer uh to to the releases i really 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 like smaller releases uh and do it more often do do it do it a lot. Um, I like small continuously deployments because uh, with decreasing risks. Uh, I mean, for example, if you have less deployments, manual deployments, big deployments, they're always a, a big risk. You have to do a lot of testing while having uh, automated uh, continuously deployments. Uh, we can basically deploy a couple of times a day. And then, of course, you decrease the risks of doing uh, putting bad code into production uh, putting bugs into production for example uh, also when have when using uh, continuously integrations continuously continuous deliveries uh, then you have a lot of tools you can probably choose uh, to help you uh, 
uh, with automatic testing, uh, doing kind of releases, for example, um, decreasing the risk even more. Uh, so, so that's my my stand in the question of of smaller releases yeah. more often. Ah, cool. So I'm on board with Henrik there, and like as your question about being in DevOps, if that changes your perceptions. I would say maybe, uh, um, and even uh, probably, uh, as like my group or our group is a service organization for the game developers. So they can make changes to the game without worry. Let them do the change and then commit that, and they know they won't break anything for anyone else. And so we create that for game developers, and they um, then have the the requirement, at least um, uh, the wish that that system is up and running all the time, so they can do their changes at what hour they want. Uh, and when you create that, you start thinking like, oh well, I want that for myself as well. If I do a change in uh, in, in the in how the game is deployed. I want that also to be safe, that I can just uh, do that. It ends up in a, in a test system for us rather than a test system for the game developers and and make sure that it's safe. So I, I think that changes your mind in, in about thinking how, 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 to, how to do development. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Um, so we can move on to uh, one of Henrik's questions. I know you... Um, you know, cut across three, but considering what we've been talking about now, um, if you want to pick the one that's most relevant um, to the conversation topic that we've been going through, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, even so... though you're talking about you know COVID nineteen, that's very very relevant to the current situation that we've all been going through. That could be an interesting uh, topic point. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So yeah. So, so my question is basically, uh, if, the, if the COVID-19 situation, when we're all working from home, is the risk uh, of us creating more over-engineered systems when having less natural interactions, discussing architecture around the coffee machine, for example, uh, and how do, you, how, do you, how do you manage to avoid those? Uh, can you avoid it? Uh, and is it even a risk? Yeah. Eric, uh, do you want to start this one? Sure. I'll start with saying I don't know. I've not been working during the pandemic, so I haven't seen what changes have, have happened in, in our team. I know our team is doing better now than before the pandemic um, for reasons I don't know yet. I think it's not related, but, and I think you can probably look at uh, uh, distributed open source projects and see, like, uh, does this affect them? Then it should probably not affect, um, or at least uh, it's avoidable uh, for uh, the rest of the industry that is not working distributed. There are also companies that have been working distributed for uh, many, 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 many years. Um, you can probably look at how they are doing things as well. And also, I, I, I find that 
the discussions on architecture and how to solve things, they don't always like the most fruitful ones are not during coffee breaks or or such. They are during code reviews. Um, so everyone is, is let's say Andreas is doing his work with with uh, defining the architecture and he's having having people review his his architectural uh, decisions and then there's an architecture that is decided on and then later when there's actually implementation time and Andreas is doing code reviews on 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 um, a developer that's when I think the most fruitful discussions happen actually uh, Andreas might uh, rethink his architecture because of something his uh, one of his colleagues is uh, is doing yeah Andreas do you want to follow up on that point yeah it's a, a very good point so the uh, uh, I can give you uh, one example where the uh, when it comes when I design the the architecture I do it to sort of like optimize the uh, how the complete set of uh, well we can say the holistic set of requirements are to be implemented uh, now and in the future and what uh, becomes quite clear is the some people uh, they can manage complexity in 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 details but not in the abstract uh, and others are very good in complexity in the abstract but not in the details uh, and during the pandemic now uh, the people that are really good in the details uh, because we don't have that social interaction they tend to over engineer and uh, they also seem to be burnouts because when they are on their own they don't seem to be able to stop um, and, and that's a that's a real challenge for me because I can't coach people the way I'm used to because I can't control them 24 7 so even if I say Thank you so much for today. Let's let's take a break or uh, let's uh, don't work during this weekend. And you you can bet your your ass that during the weekend, if they're detail oriented, they will start polish on that thing, even if it might be a third. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's uh, um, that complexity I can't manage. Uh, and if you have any tips for me how to do it, I, I'm I'm more than happy to receive it. Um, yeah. Yeah, Henrik, have you? Um, do you want to go on this one? If you've got any what ways that your team have potentially combated um, that point with, with regards to not being able to coach or or control um, the team members that you're working with? Yeah, I think uh, Eric has had, had a very good point there. Uh, it has obviously been working for, for large open source projects for many years. Uh, so it can probably work for, for companies like us as well. Uh, although I think that's, it, it's, it's a learning curve. Uh, we have to adopt and 
uh, they have to to get more used to this way of working. I know uh, having myself as an example, uh, I've been doing more hours since we started working from home. Uh, it's much, much harder to like shut down the computer and go cooking dinner and then, then you leave the computer until tomorrow. It doesn't really work that way, but maybe that is because how I am as a developer and a person. Um, I'm a technical nerd and I like to polish that uh, third. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, so the question was more of I don't I don't think I have the answers, uh, but but I would re it, it's really nice to hear you guys your experiences from it. Um, yeah. So, like a lot of similarities there as well. Um, lots of people For sure. saying that since they started working from home, um, that they're actually doing more work than they used to. And what Andreas was saying about they're actually there's less control over the engineers as well because it's not like you can walk around in the office and just lean over a shoulder and see what they've been doing, or just doing. Or there's just less meetings as well. So when you actually get to review some of the code that somebody's done, they've spent like 12 hours straight on it until two in the morning. You're like, Jesus, you know, how, you need to start explaining what this way because, you know, you've gone way above and beyond uh, the expectation. Is that pretty much what you were getting at, uh, Andreas? All right. No, was that was that the point that you were making in terms of yeah. like going above and beyond and then them having to then re-explain and use extra time going through what they've actually done extra? Uh, yeah, and uh, just like to add one more thing. I think the one of the issues for those that are detail oriented, uh, they need the that type of feedback from like-minded people. And when uh, they they don't have that uh, interaction uh, spontaneously, uh, because if it's online, most of it is either on Slack or um, if it's a meeting, then it's booked meeting. It's very rare that it is that spontaneous. And I think that's one of the things they are missing. They they don't get that spontaneous feedback, and therefore it's. Uh, it causes problem for them. Uh, they're trying to prove themselves, uh, uh, go the extra mile to prove themselves that they are really good at, at what they're doing. And uh, they do that uh, without the feedback that is necessary to do the minor corrections and all the minor corrections over a longer period of time uh, can actually be a, a 180 degree turnaround. So. Uh, it's, I, I think that's what they su they suffer from, but uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. I just, it's just a gut feeling I have. I don't uh, know. If, oh, sorry, shoot. Uh, I don't know if this applies to the current situation of uh, working from home and you're not used to it. But something I've seen is that the design stage of an implementation is very important to not go in the wrong direction so like if if, if you can decide well no, not design uh, explain to someone else how you're going to implement it uh, so that person can um, have feedback on that 
like prior you're putting your hands on your keyboard, then it's more likely, well, you, you avoid going in the completely wrong direction sometimes, uh, rather than having also like the, the implementation design be reviewed at, at after the programming has been done as well. That might help, at least it helps when we're in the offices. So it might also help when we're home. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, and, and maybe that is, what, that, that is where the cultural uh, challenges come in because uh, I guess it's, it takes, uh, it requires more from you as an organization when we are working from home, having these processes. Uh, it's more like natural when you are in the office, you go to a coffee machine, for example, as I mentioned, or, or having a spontaneous meeting, and then you discuss these things, but you never do that now. Uh, if you not have it, if you do not have it in your in your way of working, in your organization, and and then maybe it's a cultural thing. That's interesting. What you're saying now is that um, uh, what what you've seen is that well, design reviews before implementation has always always happened, but it it has not been. Uh, uh, structured or organized uh, or put in rules. It just happened. And now, because it relayed on a situation, uh, relied on a situation that's not uh, not there anymore, it doesn't happen. So, like, all you need to change uh, the workflows uh, to have those things happen that we relied on happening naturally. I think that's what, what, what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Because there's, exactly. um, there's that meeting culture um, since lockdown began, so to speak, uh, back in March, where um, pretty much nearly every company was working from home. And I've been in, on calls and interviews with many, many different clients and many, many different companies across Stockholm. And one thing that they all said in the beginning was there was this kind of like toxic meeting culture, whereas you used to be in the office all the time so that you were basically transitioning that into having your entire Outlook calendar just like black to back blocked out with internal meetings. And then you get to three, four o'clock in the afternoon. It's just like, now I can start work. <laughs> so um, obviously you know, having meetings put in is important because you do need to catch up. And like you say, you don't want one really attention to detail developer going off for eight hours without anybody reining him in and him just going completely down the wrong, down the rabbit hole, so to speak. They are a good time to actually, as you're saying, Henrik, implement, get, get a cultural meeting involved where you're actually doing, you know, code reviews that like Eric mentioned or, pre-design or you know pre-development you know actually cut down to the core of what it is that you're going to do in shorter steps rather than just go off for a week and then you come back and you it's like a case of chinese whispers you've gone this way and he's gone that way and then you're just like oh they don't really work together anymore um oh okay there's there's a solution there is might not be the correct solution but one way to think of this is to have um, the the backlog if you're uh, if you're um, if you're working with a backlog or or creating the sprints if you're working with with scrum um, like whatever 
whatever method you use, like make that a team effort. So uh, let's say you have uh, some kind of like, you know, customer or user that are using your product or service uh, that have a way to ask for requests or, or report bugs. But for that to come to the backlog or, or the sprint, that's a team effort. Everyone is on and discussing that. And then also like talking out, how do we implement this? And then anyone in team can pick any, any task, um, be a fe new feature or fix a bug uh, and just do the implementation because all of that has already been discussed in a group. And that, that probably needs to be weekly or bi-weekly depending on how, how what it looks like elsewhere in the organization yeah and then you get the uh, case where andreas has got developers that will just start working over the weekend and then come monday morning it's just like oh what have we done now? <laughs> so, so there's always a risk um and that's where the cultural uh, element comes in i guess yeah, and uh, I one thing regarding that, uh, which I think gaming industry is is uh, is better fit for this because uh, when the designers they set the vision and uh, I think that unifies people in 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 uh, in the industry Henrik and I operate. Uh, there's a lack of vision. Uh, there's. Uh, uh, popes running around uh, with their own agenda and there's no unified vision that inspires people to do great work. Um, uh. I'd say spot on. Uh, the easier uh, game projects I've worked in all easier, well, uh, smoother maybe. And um, they, like in the initial stage, um, there's like very, very few people working, maybe two, three persons uh, creating this vision and goal of what this game is going to look like. And then there's like a full day. They're just explaining how, how the feeling look is going to be. It's not like, it's not, this is exactly how it's look. It's just the, the overall feeling, the overall looks, uh, the overall functionality. And then it's like, go create. Because then everyone is knowing this is where we're going, and just like, am I doing something getting us there? And that that that's then it's easier. Like when you have that clear from the beginning. Yeah, yeah that's, sounds fair. And I think when you when you are talking about the popes of the industry not having the same kind of vision as they would from like a gaming uh, industry in like that kind of vision. I think that's all based on the product. I mean, because uh, the the bank's purpose isn't to create a fantastic application from an IT perspective. That's just not that's just not what they're there for. What a gaming in the industry, their sole focus is get the best developers that you can find, and let's make the best technical thing possible to sell to our customers. It's like we're all dependent if it's a product facing IT position whereas if your development is solely responsible for making it a financial impact on that business then there's obviously going to be a lot more vision and incentive to do better um from a that kind of like engineering perspective 
Whereas if it's just like a backend for like a bank, which has been there for decades, obviously it's going to be like, just make sure it works. That's your job. <laughs> so there's different elements. Yeah, but, but that's why I think from my perspective, uh, it's so interesting with a company like Klarna, uh, because they are a bank without legacy. Mm. But that's why they've been doing so well, probably. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they come up with like a new idea. And they're, to be fair, yes, they are a bank, but they're also like a, they're doing something a little bit different and how they're, you know, making money with it as well. So being able to pay via Klarna, that was kind of like their product and one way that they were making money. So they needed to develop and design that very well for them to make money. So they've kind of been, they are, they are a bank, but they're also got a product involved as well, that heavy on the financial incentive side. Yeah. And, and in addition, if you look at the, uh, the way that uh, the more traditional banks are making money is, uh, as I spoke about before, the convoluted uh, products that they make. Basically, uh, uh, wrapping things in, in absurd structures and trying to, it's, it's basically fooling their clients into buying into this thing. That's, that's how they make money. They make money out of money. Um, <laughs> it, while Klarna, they are delivering a service that, that is very uh, simple to understand and adds value because it gives people, especially around the Mediterranean, control of how they spend their money. I think that's a, a very smart business decision to have a clear-cut um, product that, like in gaming industry, people appreciate and can understand and uh, and in addition the the guys at Klarna uh, when i worked with them uh, many years ago they had a really really good team of erlang developers uh, and uh, they similar to my team really inspired by about making the core product perfect uh, the core technology and then the rest was yeah, we just do it because it needs to be done, but it, it doesn't really matter. Like financial reporting, just get it done. But the fiddle. <laughs> yeah. So very good example uh, regarding uh, Klarna. Uh, I think that bridges the both both the industries. So yeah. like, right. yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. So we've gone through the allocated time and we've got uh, everybody's had um one of their questions answered is everybody happy with how it's gone this evening absolutely yeah sure is there any follow-ups is there any like right on the tip of the tongue which they've felt like they've not been able to get off their chest or based on one of the previous topics or is everybody relatively satisfied yeah i think I kind uh, of... sorry there we go Shoot. there's always one <laughs> Yeah. I kind of like the Henrik's first question. Uh, uh, it, it, probably a short discussion, but it was an interesting question. Um, yeah. By means, Henrik, do you want to elaborate that one a little bit more? We can spend a couple of minutes on that. Uh, yeah, sure. And uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, the question regarding um, different uh, patterns. So the question is basically, uh, is the single responsibility principle the contrary of over-engineering? And uh, if so, uh, is it a good choice? And as a background, 
uh, one could say that the single responsibility principle or pattern is, is um, that uh, every entity or library or class that you develop uh, should have basically a single responsibility and don't do a lot of stuff. Uh, and you can use that principle when developing libraries or microservices or, or depending on your architecture. Yeah. So don't have one thing doing nine things, just have one thing doing one thing, but doing it well. Yeah, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you can apply that pattern to, to depending on what kind of architecture you have. If you, for example, as I said, running microservices, uh, you, you can use that pattern for or principle for, for that or, or depending on what you do and how you do it, basically. Yes. And seeing as this question caught your eye, Eric, do you want to uh, give some feedback on that one? Yeah, uh, I think it's the other way around that it... Um helps with over-engineering uh, instead uh, um, because of what Henrik said. I think um, that definition that it does one thing is uh, a misconception of, I can't remember his name, but someone wrote about that uh, some time ago. I can't remember his name. Uh, that, that the single responsibility principle is about doing one thing I think that's the misconception. That's not what it's about. It's about uh, the sources of changes. So a class method, whatever, can do loads of things. But if the reason for it to change is comes from one source, then it's it it should be one one method. Let's let's talk, let's just say classes like the, that class handles everything that comes for that reason. Um, let's say. Whenever marketing changes its mind, something has to change, and then uh, all 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 of that should be in one class. And it might be a large class, but every time marketing changes its mind, then uh, it goes into that class. So it's not about um, it's not about having uh, one thing in one class it's rather that whenever a source requires a change because otherwise like marketing changed their mind and we had have to change four classes that doesn't help um so i think like uh, th that principle because it's misconception or 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 simplifying how what it actually is uh because it's more related to the what um Andreas were bringing up with his first question about the organization. It, it reflects the organization. Uh, it should reflect the organization. Like what happens in organization, uh, then, uh, then it's it's contained in, in a, a containerized code also. Um, so, so I think because it's, yeah, it's how people think it should work that's that makes it over engineered instead um that that that's my thinking of it yeah well, what do you say about that that henrik like that that uh, that it should be um thought of uh, differently yes uh, that was uh, very interesting uh, and yeah you're probably right uh yeah 
Yeah, so you, you've got like having one thing doing one thing or the change of the platform, and obviously you need to make things available to subjects to change as well. Um, but in terms of over-engineering something to be, you know, highly functional with multiple functions or having one thing to do one thing, what are, what is your preference from like the systems that you've built in the past, for example? Yeah, but I think, for example, the the uh, the legacy monolith. Uh, I guess every company has it, or a lot of it. Uh, probably banks as well. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, fr from my experience. That's the typical use case of over-engineered systems uh, with lots of dependencies, and if you change something in one place, uh, it can probably be a lot of issues in other places because everything is communicating with uh, everything. Uh, and from from that experience, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a lot about uh, single responsibility principle. Um, I'm mostly into microservices uh, and, and how to implement the microservice architecture uh, always trying to think about some kind of single responsibility principle and don't start to mix things up in uh, in building new monoliths monoliths based on on <laughs> based on microservices instead uh, so that means uh, for me putting the question up is that if is it the contrary to uh, when you build smaller uh, entities, like for example, microservices that has a single responsibility, for example, uh, an order service or a customer service, uh, and that gives you an easier way to not do these over-engineered uh, implementations uh, where you have a lot of dependencies and you have big classes, for example, with with many hundreds or even thousands uh, rows of code. Uh, so, uh, and that's I think based on my own experience uh, taking over systems, doing migrations, and stuff like that. Uh, the uh, the <clears throat> the principle you talk about, I would. Uh, I would talk about it as cohesion. So if you uh, think of it in terms of microservices where you have the domain keys, uh, you want to minimize the, uh, the cross-boundary uh, domains and that's your cohesion. So the, regarding the minimum possible complexities, you need to find uh, untangle this web of, of, of keys and then say, okay, this needs to be domain key because this is how we link this domain to this one. Uh, and then figure out what the transaction boundary is so you don't end up with uh, a problem of unsynchronized domains, uh, which is quite possible if you have an event-driven architecture where the events don't necessarily happen in, they happen in order, but they are not communicated in order. No, not only possible, it's uh, mostly probable. Yeah, exactly.
so so that's that's where the the uh, the, the problem of identity that you're talking about is it comes down to to what the uh, what the data set is how do you partition the data set to minimize the the uh, the complexity in in the boundaries of the domains uh, and if I give an example that might be more relevant to the gaming industries, since I mentioned before that we write the majority of our code in Occam, uh, in the way way it's structured is uh, you can't call a function that isn't uh, above in in the in the source code or in the project file. You can't call a module that isn't above. Uh, the other models. So you you enforce the structure, and uh, it quite becomes quite natural in in how you partition the the problem. Uh, but you'd have to it enforces or like over engineering in the beginning. So you learned what the uh, domains are. So it it's, it brings a lot of overhead to get started, but once you have understood what domains are, you get a lot of traction. Fantastic. Yeah. So did that uh, answer your question, Henrik and um, Eric as well? Because obviously you were keen on that question. Yes, uh, and to add to what Ed, Henrik said, uh, it, it sounds very much like we want a good API, uh, and one way to solve that is with with microservices. As like the, the 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 main goal is to like I can ask this something and I can rely on on a, a uh, an answer that is relevant, and and the, and the way to one way to solve that is with microservices. Uh, was that Kind of, the, did I did I think that right, Henrik? Uh, yeah, but I would say so. Uh, and then obviously you can have a lot of different uh, kind of patterns. Uh, even when you using microservices, uh, you can have APIs. Uh, you can use message brokers with Kafka and things like that. Uh, so implementing that kind of architecture also requires that you take good res responsibility of, of how you do it because it's it's so easy to to navigate in the wrong direction so to say uh, so uh, given all these new possibilities that you you can do uh, basically how, however you want uh, it's so easy to think that, okay, now we have this good, new, fantastic uh, architecture, event-driven maybe, microservices probably, uh, but you still end up in some kind of over-engineered, uh, monolithic uh, microservice thingy. Yeah. Can I uh, add something to, to that? I, uh, one uh, reoccurring problem with microservices is it, uh, according to s cybernetics, the, the control system needs to be more complicated than the actual system. And if you apply that to, to microservices, that means that the, 
the long-running transactions, the sagas, the compensation algorithms need to be a lot more complicated and therefore you basically build a monolith of compensation algorithms. Uh, that has been my experience over the, uh, over the years. Uh, I don't know if you agree, Henrik. Uh, yeah, but I partly agree. Uh, it, it, as I said, it, it requires a lot from you as an architect to do it right. Uh, maybe it's not always even possible to do it right. And then maybe microservice architecture is not right for the, for the problem you're trying to 